0: Welcome to The Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson. And with us today, we have Ashley Webb. Um, We're gonna hear a bit about her um, community garden and and food project down in New Orleans. But before we start chatting about that, I do want to make a special request. Um, We have been recording this podcast for over a year and a half now. We've shared an incredible number of stories and lessons about health and wellness and well-being. And I want to learn more about you, who you are as a listener and what you want to hear about. What topics haven't we covered yet that you're dying to know more about? And who do you want us to get as a guest on the podcast? Uh, We have a handy little survey all created for you. You can find a link to that in the show notes, or you can go to ourwellmovement.com, and we will pick a uh, random winner from those who submit a survey um, by the end of June, and on July 4th, we'll pick someone to receive a gift bag of some of our favorite health and wellness products. So follow the link in the show notes, check out our website, tell us who you are, what you want, and what we can do in our uh, second, third year of the podcast to keep track of time now. Anyway, back to the show. (laughs) So Ashley is joining us um, from New Orleans. She is a work from home mom who started a farmer's market in the upper ninth ward, a predominantly low income black neighborhood during COVID to help with food access and give growers and makers who may have lost their jobs or suppliers a space to network and sell their items. I'm so excited to hear Ashley's story. We talk all the time um, on the podcast about the importance of good food and nutrition in our health and well-being, um, keeping um, people away from diabetes and heart conditions just by what they eat. But so much of that really depends on access. And in the ninth ward, as Ashley found out when she moved there, it is a food desert. So there is not much access. And Ashley, you really took that into your own hands. So... Thank you for joining us.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about um, the genesis of the story because you moved from LA originally, um, but not in a food desert there. Correct?
1: No, I moved from um, North Hollywood mm-hmm. into the Upper Ninth Ward in New Orleans. go on. So and, oh, good one. Oh, is it,
0: so, um, so in that transition, kind of what was different between, um, between your two homes?
1: Um, a lot, you know, we lived in what they call like an arts district area in Mm -hmm. North Hollywood. So it was very artsy, a lot of theaters, you know, a lot of restaurants, grocery stores, it was all just available. So to Mm -hmm. go from having everything, you know, we could just walk to, and then all of a sudden you look around and you're like, oh, there's not much here. It was like a huge culture shock for me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, What made you choose to go to New Orleans to make that
1: switch? Um, we had actually visited a few months prior, but Mm -hmm. it was in a different section of town. So we were like, oh, this is, seems like a cool space to be. (laughs) And we were trying to leave Los Angeles because it was just too expensive and we wanted to buy a house.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So we moved to New Orleans. Um, after that, it was like a weekend. I don't know how we made a big decision based on two days, but we did. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) So And then we moved to New Orleans about six months later, and it was just completely different than what we stayed in our Airbnb at that time.
0: Because it was a different neighborhood in a whole different area. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Ninth Ward uh, has gotten a lot of press and a a whole lot of coverage over, I can't believe it's been 15, 16 years now since Hurricane Katrina in 2005. So a lot of what makes the Ninth Ward the food desert that it is comes from that devastation of the hurricane, but it was a decade and a half ago. Um, And talk a little bit about kind of what is there and then what the Ninth Ward looks like as someone who who lives there.
1: Um, (laughs) There's a lot of shotgun houses, if you know what those are. So it's basically a historic neighborhood, a -hmm. lot of... um, I'm not sure what was there, but pre Katrina, because I wasn't Mm -hmm. here. But these days, it's mostly residential shotgun houses. And there are basically, uh, they're traditional to New Orleans or the South in general, is Mm -hmm. like a long house. Gotcha. And the idea is that if you shoot a shotgun through the front, it will come straight through the back.
0: (laughs) We have that same style in Colorado, we call them ranch houses. have as good of a reason for that but okay so shotgun houses down there so these long houses um and mostly residential down there
1: yes Mm -hmm. so there is um a few corner stores and like a like a laundromat that type of thing Mm -hmm. but there's no grocery and even the corner stores you know it's like canned goods there's not much fresh
0: Mm -hmm.
1: everything's processed and there's I guess in New Orleans is known for like po'boys and fried chicken and things like that. So you can get that type of thing, Mm -hmm. but you can't get like, you know, if you want to make a salad, you can't get the fruit and vegetables you want for that to happen.
0: And so a lot of those um, conditions and qualities are what ultimately define what a food desert is because it's about having access and in an urban area that would be within one mile to be able to get not just food, you know, convenience store food and and that kind of thing, but so-called healthy food. And we can have so many debates about what's healthy, but generally, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables would be on that list. So not having access to that directly within the city, how far did you have to go to get ingredients for your salad?
1: I don't even know. I I mean, it's definitely out of the neighborhood. So if you're in a car, probably in different directions, five to 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. If you have if you have to walk or take a bus, that could be a lot more difficult. If they want to do what I call real shopping, um, it's probably about 10 minutes.
0: Ten minutes by car to go and get.
1: If the traffic yeah. is five to ten. Yeah. I guess depending on how traffic is.
0: Fair enough. So definitely within that qualification of of the inconvenience of even trying to find transportation. Um, you know, there's about 39.5 million people who are affected by, um, limited access to food. Um, 12, 12 to 18% of the U S population live in that same kind of low access, um, environment to try and get this food. Um, so you came up with an interesting solution, um, to have access to fresh homegrown healthy foods, um, much closer than a five to 10 minute drive away. Tell us all about that.
1: So, um, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, right when I was starting, someone had visited. We have what a community garden. Mm-hmm. Someone had visited and said, you know, you guys should open up and make a farmer's market here. we can keep mm-hmm. it in the neighborhood. So, when the shutdown happened, I kind of shelved the idea. And then a few months later, when things started opening up again, we kind of just took the idea and just put it out there on the internet to see if people would respond. And we, got, we were able to find a farmer, we were able to find vendors, and it just all just kind of came together. So we did it once and people liked it so much that we just started doing it regularly.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And backtracking a little bit to the community garden. Um, so you started that right when you moved to New Orleans, or was that a, a little bit before COVID as well?
1: Um, no, we started that a few months after we moved to New Orleans because we wanted to grow, but the house we were staying in um, didn't have much of a yard, mm-hmm. so we just needed a plot of land to be able to grow.
0: Awesome. Well, I know that you and I um, both have are shared fans of Ron Finley, who started guerrilla gardening um, in California, um, doing much the same thing, finding that Available space to grow locally, what you couldn't access uh, at the supermarkets.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he was a huge inspiration. He basically took the food desert that was in Compton and grew there, and then provide the neighbors with food, Um, and also taught them how to grow so they could do it themselves. So that's the key factor too—is kind of showing people, hey, you could do this at home or in your balcony or in your, you know, wherever you have available. But for those people who don't, that's why there's community gardens. So so they could come and use our plots um, to grow if they want to.
0: And so was that your original intention with your community garden was to to gather people and teach them how to grow and, and really get investment in the garden itself?
1: Yes, yeah, so we wanted to do that. And we wanted to do classes. Um, and by the time we were finally like truly up and ready to do it, that's when COVID happened.
0: Gotcha. So have you always been a long-term gardener before this? Did, or did you develop your green thumb? <laughs>
1: no. I don't know how to grow anything. Um, when I was, um before I met my husband, I tried to grow a few times and it just did not work. I don't know what I was doing wrong, but it wasn't working for me. So it took him showing me, just do this, you know, mix it together, put it in the ground. And I was like, that's it? And he's like, that's it? <laughs> So, and then it started, you know, we fail sometimes, but, you know, a good portion of the time it actually grows. So we've kind of learned along the way. Mm-hmm. We've kind of learned about, you know, different ways to, we try to be as organic as possible, different ways to get rid of pests and how to fertilize. And, you know, we have a compost in our backyard and at the garden and that type of thing. So...
0: It is a lot of trial and error. And I think I'm new to gardening myself. Um, but when you're just looking at starting this off and you think, okay, I'm really good at killing houseplants. How on earth am I going to get fruits and vegetables out of this? It, it can be made to be so complicated, but with just the guidance of even one person giving some confidence about, we're going to stick this in the ground and see what happens. You, you get to build on that and you get to have a little bit more trial and error and, and, and try different things. Um, I think that's really cool that you gave it another shot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then once you grow something,
0: you get a little bit cocky, you know. You're like, "Oh, I made it grow," <laughs> so you just keep growing, right? It's like, "Look at my one tomato." But that's me. <laughs> none of my tomatoes turned red last year, though. And try again this year. Um, well, so so you started a community garden, but I remember you telling me that it was kind of surprising that you didn't actually get as much of the community investment in in the growing itself in the planting and growing as you were expecting. How, how did the community respond to the garden?
1: So. What we didn't factor in when we picked the plot was who was living around it. So at the, I mean, still mostly it's a lot of older people. So people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And they didn't, you know, that is like my back hurts or I can't bend down or I just don't, they don't want to do it. (laughs) So they're kind of like, I've grown out of that stage of life. Mm -hmm. So I think they could still do it, but okay. (laughs) So they kept saying, well, Grow, can you grow it for us? Mm-hmm. And then we'll, you know, buy it or, you know, you want to give it away or whatever. So we kind of still, we keep that in mind. So we try to grow things like mustard greens or okra, things we know the neighborhood likes. Mm-hmm. And then we also have either farmers come in or we buy from farmers to supplement what we don't grow ourselves.
0: Wonderful. So you still have community involvement. It's just not the getting the hands dirty kind of involvement that you maybe originally thought
1: new Orleans likes to be social so they're mm-hmm. happy to come in the garden walk around you know talk your head off for 10 minutes and then you know get where they're gonna get and go home.
0: <laughs> But to have a place of community and a place of gathering especially in a year like this last year through the COVID pandemic where um community got so disjointed and and, and um a lot of areas fearful around being around people. How did the garden, because I know you had um, plans of, of creating classes and teaching right as the pandemic started to roll through. How did the garden shift throughout, you know, this last year that shifted so much?
1: Um, I guess, even though know, we still grow and I still try to encourage people when they come to the garden. I'm like, look around, if you have questions, you know, mm-hmm. ask or email if we're, if we're busy. I can't always answer, but email, you know, so... I think that's kind of how it shifted to more of a we can teach you versus Mm -hmm. we can grow here if they're interested. Because a lot of people started growing at home once the pandemic hit.
0: Oh, neat. So they did end up getting that little bit of shift of what you can do in your own home and in your own plot. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Cool. So, so as the pandemic hit too, I mean, and we experienced this across the country, so many, um, grocers and shops and restaurants and places shut down and so many people were losing their jobs. And, you know, I, I found out about you and your community through GoFundMe and this, awesome project. I just, I love the morphing that this little community garden is taking on. Um, How is, how are you enveloping um, all of the shift in employment and small businesses into your community?
1: Um, When the, I guess, when the pandemic started, I started, um, I'm on Instagram a lot. So I started seeing more and more, um, I guess, local food, influencers, I guess you'd call Mm -hmm. them show like, Hey, this person lost their job, but they're now they're baking at home or they're cooking at home or they're, you know, know, where there's canning or whatever it is they're doing. So I was like, well, I guess when we were going to farmers markets in Los Angeles, there was always a hot food vendor or different, you know, not just produce, but other things there too. So I kind of took that idea of, okay, when we start doing this community garden um, and the farmers market, will just have spaces for different types of vendors. And that I think really took off too, even more so in some ways, you know, like, well, we do the fresh produce, you know, people want that, but they also will come during lunchtime, you know, mm-hmm. so they'll come, you know, grab whatever it is. And that is also putting money back into, you know, the, the cooks and all, you know, a lot of line cooks that are kind of mm-hmm. like experimenting or whatever, you know, come and try things out or try like, oh, trying to figure out how to say this they you know they come they may try a new recipe mm-hmm. or try things or you know and then they kind of bring it to the community to kind of get their name out show people hey you know even though the restaurants may not be open you can still come this is what I do mm-hmm. follow me and it kind of helps them also be able to book a lot of people were doing you know food drop-offs or private events that type of thing not really events but private uh, popular thing down here was having someone cook you food And then, you know, drop it off so you can have your nice food at home. Oh,
0: awesome. So it's almost, it sounds almost like a food exhibition. Like you have all the fresh food that people could pick up. You have all of these chefs trying out different things and getting their name out in the community and and becoming almost personal chefs in this really
1: mobile sort of way. Yeah. And a lot of people actually started, (laughs) like, I mean, one vendor, she's a teacher, Mm -hmm. And then with them doing remote learning, was able to experiment with some recipes I think her mother came up with. Mm -hmm. And then she's actually gotten reasonably popular since the pandemic on the weekends, just cooking that food and then putting it out in the community. And she was one of our most popular vendors, just being able to, you know, I don't think I really understood a food craze until you have someone that all of a sudden gets, you know, Facebook famous, whatever you want to call it. And then all these people are like, oh, we want your food. And they come and then they discover and then they tell their friends. So you get more of a interaction, that type of thing. And luckily the garden's big enough that we didn't have to worry about like too many, too many crowds, you know.
0: Yeah. Get that nice outdoor space and keep the distance, but everybody can still show up. Mm-hmm. so what's the garden the farmers market like on on those community days when everyone can gather what does it feel like to be there around all this um experimenting and fresh food and community i mean that sounds it's pretty great. wonderful
1: kind of like a crackle you know like everyone's <laughs> feeling good especially in a time where i think people weren't unsure about what was going to happen mm-hmm. so it's nice you know it's kind of that break in their day you know they kind of look forward to coming to the market and even though um Our, I'm in Louisiana, so our guidelines have lessened recently, Mm -hmm. but before that, you know, just having that five, 10 minutes, they're able to come to the garden, walk around, you know, kind of interact with people, even if it's, you know, we're not close, you have your distance, but just getting that people interaction, I think was huge for people.
0: I mean, it's just, it's all the things that we're made of, right? It's it's good food, fresh air and community. And that's, that's our lifeblood in so many ways. So you, you've done this whole, um, uh, what, what's this word I'm trying to think of? You've had this whole journey, really, through a, a small community garden, and now you've got the farmer's market, and you're helping create an exhibition center for cooks and, and the latest Facebook, Instagram crazes of, of the amazing food that gets dropped off, and you're not done yet. Now you're looking for a permanent space where this can become a more regular thing in your community.
1: Yeah, so, so people, I think people wanted it weekly. Mm-hmm. And we just couldn't do that technically. We're not zoned to be doing this in, that, in the garden. We're go, mm-hmm. zoned to grow. So um, <laughs> we needed to find a space where we could do it weekly. And although mm-hmm. the space we did find is not quite in the same neighborhood, unfortunately. It's still in Upper Ninth, but it's not super close. But it's still in an area where there is a food desert. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping to be able to have a permanent space, not just for people in the area to have better availability to fresh food, but also for the people that may have lost their jobs and are still trying to figure out, you know, things are finally opening up. But it still may take a while before mm-hmm. things are back to normal so they can, you know, sell their side food or whatever it is they're trying to do mm-hmm. more regular, on a regular basis so we can support them better.
0: Are you surprised with where this has gone since you first arrived in New Orleans?
1: Yes, it was not what I even thought, you know. It was just like, oh, we're going to have a little community garden space. It's going to be fun. And then um, it just took a direction I hadn't even thought about it like a farmer's market didn't even enter my mind until someone said try it and I was bored so I said okay I'm gonna try it <laughs> amazing I like
0: it. it's just it seems like a whole bunch of little decisions just start to pile on top of each other until all of a sudden you have this nucleus of change going on around you
1: yes it's been really it's been a powerful in a lot of ways just to <laughs> see kind of how it kind of took off and then you're like oh okay
0: like here we are and some of my favorite just from chatting with you before I love that so you do you grow the favorites you grow the okra and you in the traditional foods but you're also introducing new vegetables and new greens um, by what you grow in your garden
1: Um, so we definitely um, some of the farmers grow things I didn't even know existed like red carrots golden beets Mm -hmm. Um, even you know swish so it, because it's rainbow chard it's mm-hmm. beautiful it's pretty and then so um, we were growing purple mustard greens because we like color so um I can get you know, them purple I, yes they're purple like purple and green awesome yeah, okay I, my husband bought some red okra for this year oh so gorgeous the, yeah so it's kind of just down here people eat you know potatoes onions you know green bell peppers and that's kind of the And maybe celery, and that's kind of it. And then maybe in the Mm -hmm. winter, cabbage and mustard greens. Mm -hmm. So we've been trying to make a point to bring in things like turnips, beets, you know, different types of greens, more kale, more chard, you know, just kind of, I guess, introducing them to things that are easy to grow, easily available if they're Mm -hmm. looking for it from farmers. And then um, we do cooking demonstrations, So sometimes other people do it. Sometimes my husband does it and we just say, okay, turnips, you don't know how to cook them. So you don't want to buy them. Well, we'll show you different ways, each, a different way each week or each market to how to cook them. And we record them and put them on Facebook live so people can come back to them. And then people have uh, i mean, we've gotten good response. So I think most of the fear is if I buy it, I don't want it to rot in my refrigerator Mm -hmm. Or I don't know what to do with this. So we're trying to reduce that fear and saying, try it, buy it, you know, get this recipe and then let us know. That is awesome.
0: Oh, it's awesome. And I love uh, just this desire um, that you keep bringing up through all of the origins of this um uh, this, this runaway project is, is to educate, to teach people how to grow um, and now to teach people how to cook and enjoy. And I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, there's a whole generation of us kind of that millennial group that never really learned to cook many of us. And so this whole idea of how do we even engage with vegetables? You're right. We won't buy it if we don't know how to use it. Um, so I will, we'll definitely, um, put the market's Facebook link in our show notes here because those videos and those recipes are someplace, no matter where you live, you can take advantage of how to cook a turnip. So you actually want to eat it. Right. <laughs> Does it change then what the demand in your market is? Are you like selling out on turnips now?
1: Um, if we had the golden ones, they, <laughs> <get> the color. <laughs>
0: I like all the color on the plate too. Cause I mean, that's just such a beautiful way um, to talk about food and engage with food differently. You know, it's not just about what we need to stuff in our gut so that we aren't hungry, but we can enjoy this whole palette, this whole color that, you know, mustard grains are going to be more fun if they're purple and they're going to be more fun if they're purple. Um, but we just have to be exposed and even know they exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And just kind of, I guess once people taste it and they realize it's not this awful thing, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of opening their minds to, okay, what else maybe I'll, I'm willing to try.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so I know this whole project arriving at a permanent um, marketplace was, was not what you were thinking. But for anyone who is inspired by um, this epicenter of community that you've created in a time when it seems like everything is falling apart, what advice would you give them?
1: Mostly just to give things a chance. You know, you kind of have those voices in the back of your head. There's like, oh, is this worth it? Or can I, do I even know how to do it? Like I Wikipedia, how to do a farmer's market, you know, like you get stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's more, just reminding yourself, like, just put it out there, try and see mm-hmm. how it goes. Cause then it may, it may surprise you.
0: Just like the turnips. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It is these small steps that really do start to grow on themselves. Um, So where are you at in the uh, creation of the permanent farmer's market location?
1: It is a slow process. (laughs) That's what I've learned. Um,
0: Patience.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's been the patience. So we have the property. Um, One of the issues that we're kind of having is that, I guess New Orleans is one of those cities where things are kind of historically run on corruption. And then, so although things are getting turned around, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of, especially with Katrina, a lot of people pocketed money instead of putting it back into the community. Mm -hmm. So um, the plot that we bought is, I guess they knocked it down a few years after Katrina because it it flooded and then people never reclaimed it or whatever happened. Mm -hmm. happened in our city. So, um, they knocked it down and then they apparently changed the zoning, but they didn't update the records. Okay. So we bought it thinking it was commercial. So right now we're just trying to get it changed back to commercial cause it was commercial. And then, so that should be able to happen. They said, as long as it was commercial, you should be able to get it changed back, but that's a paperwork and we're having to wait for all that. But in the meantime, we're trying to do what we can do. So we've, it was overgrown. So we had to knock down trees, put up a fence. We kind of put down gravel to help us walk on the area. Mm-hmm. And right now we're trying to figure out plumbing. And then once we have that, we're going to get a building and then start building the booths. Nice. So, um, but with waiting, I just, in my head, I just never realized how much waiting for government and paperwork takes. Mm-hmm. So this all went a little bit slower than I had planned. Yeah, but but I'm was- excited.
0: To, yeah, I was going to say, you still have the big the big picture just lofting out in front of you.
1: Mm-hmm. So yes, and this has been a, we've never really constructed anything like this. So it's just like, it's a learning process, just learning everything you have to do.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's the same way you've done all the rest of it. It's just that little bit at a time, even it seems like from the first community garden of, okay, let's see if this sticks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I, I like that this whole thing has grown like a garden. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> you're, you're a living metaphor. Um, so in in this final big picture, when, when the permits and pieces all fall into place and the brambles are cleared, what do you hope um, the farmer's market will be to the community? What do you hope it looks like? What do you want to include?
1: I don't have a completely clear picture because I'm kind of letting people suggestions be open because mm-hmm. I don't want, I kind of want what the community wants. Mm -hmm. but um I definitely want it to be a space where people can in that area are willing to come I'm trying to keep the prices down that's where GoFundMe really is going to help us is that you know without having to take out loans I can keep the vending fees down I can um so that the neighborhood where it's ends so this low income can enjoy this space and Mm -hmm. I hope to eventually put in um Classes. I told my husband I want an area where we can do classes at that Mm -hmm. space. Since the garden doesn't have a ton of, I mean, there's space, but we're still going to do the market here and there. There, Mm -hmm. so I want a dedicated space so we can do classes.
0: And what do you want to teach in the classes?
1: Um, both gardening and kind of. Maybe have guest speakers. We're thinking of maybe there's a school around the corner. We're thinking maybe if we can hook up with it's a high school, hook up with the high school mm-hmm. and kind of see maybe do a program or something, maybe have the kids do jobs or learn skills or whatever it is. So we were interested in doing a program here called Pathways, but um, we didn't quite qualify. So but we're hoping once we have the space up, then mm-hmm. we can start helping the kids kind of it's the idea to learn skills and that we can use these skills as they you know go into adulthood.
0: Oh that's fantastic. And being able to grow your own food and cook your own food. I mean that's a life skill that's never going to go away
1: and that you will always always need. Yes. Awesome, and just basics, you know people sometimes kids just aren't learning the basics. So if you to live on your own you gotta you gotta know the basics. So
0: and you can't cook everything in the microwave. A lot of things but your vegetables taste better when they're not in the microwave, that's for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and share the whole progression of your garden and, and the change that it's made in your community. Um, the opportunities it's given, especially in this pandemic year of COVID for people who are out of work. I mean, it it really just has grown and flourished. And I'm so excited for for what comes next for you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. So it's been nice, nice talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And we will uh, link the, um, it's the Barcelo Gardens. Um, We'll link the GoFundMe page. Uh, I was on there this morning. We are pre-recording this podcast. um, So it's the beginning of May. Um, So right here at the beginning of May, you're only just shy of a thousand dollars short of your goal which is pretty incredible. Um, I hope by the time this podcast airs, you have far surpassed it and continue to, um, to continue to support the community. And then, uh, where can we find you on Facebook and Instagram? If, um, people want to check out your gardens and your incredible recipes and, um, how to cook turnips. Um, <laughs> we're on both Facebook and Instagram It's at Barcelona
1: Gardens
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, I post probably a bit more on Facebook. So all my stuff, like the videos for the cooking demonstrations and that type of thing is all on Facebook.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Ashley. I so appreciate your time. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll catch you next time for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. Until then, be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.